Welcome to the Murder Minute podcast. Today, the story of the Kentucky Fried Chicken Massacre. But first, your true crime headlines. A Sacramento man whose baby daughter was found dead in Southern California last week has surrendered to authorities after a week-long statewide manhunt. Accompanied by his attorney, 22-year-old Alexander Echeverria surrendered at the U.S.-Mexico border on Monday and was taken into custody. He is being held at a jail in San Diego and is facing charges related to the death of his eight-month-old daughter, Alexia Rose Echeverria, whose body was found in Southern California last week. Police believe that she died in Sacramento and was then driven to the Southern California city of Bellflower, where her body was discovered. The father and stepmother of an emaciated 12-year-old boy who died in Indiana last week will face murder charges for his death. When 12-year-old Eduardo Pozo was taken to the hospital, he weighed just 55 pounds and was having difficulty breathing. His father, 32-year-old Luis Pozo, claimed that Eduardo had slipped and fallen in the shower. Instead, the boy's body showed evidence of prolonged abuse and neglect, which led to his death on May 24th. Evidence suggests that young Eduardo was kept chained in a bathtub, forced to wear a dog's electric shock collar, and deprived of food before his death, with his horrific abuse and neglect taking place at the hands of his own father and stepmother. Florida Child Protective Services had investigated Eduardo's family five times in 18 months for suspicion of abuse, including reports by the boy's biological mother, who feared that her son was being mistreated by his father and stepmother. In December of 2018, Luis Pozo and his wife, Diana Flores, signed Eduardo and his three younger siblings out of school, and the family went out on the road with a traveling circus company. Luis and Diana worked as promoters for the circus and often took their younger children along with them to hand out flyers while they left Eduardo chained in the bathtub in their motel room. The couple placed a security camera in the bathroom with Eduardo and monitored the camera from a cell phone app. Video recovered from Diana Flores's phone shows Eduardo chained and shackled, lying in the bathtub as his siblings freely enter and leave the room, completely ignoring their brother. Eduardo's siblings, aged 9, 5, and 2, all appear to be healthy and well-fed. They have been placed in the care of Child Protective Services. An Oklahoma mother faces child abuse charges after falsifying her daughter's health records, subjecting her to unnecessary and potentially fatal medical procedures. 34-year-old Alicia Newman employed medical professionals in six states to provide care for her daughter, who she claimed was suffering from numerous rare illnesses. As a result, the young girl was given a pacemaker, an IV port, and a feeding tube before a thorough examination of her medical history revealed a pattern of lies by her mother. The girl is believed to be a victim of a factitious disorder, also known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy, in which a parent exaggerates, fabricates, or causes an injury or illness to their child as a means to garner attention or sympathy. Alicia Newman is being held on a $50,000 cash bond. She is not permitted to have any contact with her daughter, and her preliminary hearing is set for June 7th. Fifty-year-old Jennifer Dulos has been missing since the morning of May 24th after she dropped off her five children at school. 
Her black Chevy Suburban was found abandoned later that night, hours after worried friends had reported the Connecticut mother missing. On Monday, June 3rd, her estranged husband and girlfriend were arraigned on charges related to her disappearance. 51-year-old Fotis Dulos and his girlfriend, 44-year-old Michelle Traconis, were arraigned on felony evidence tampering charges after surveillance videos captured the pair disposing of bags into various trash receptacles in the area. Forensic evidence, including blood splatter, was also found at the home of Jennifer Dulos, according to arrest warrants. In 2017 divorce filings, Jennifer Dulos told the court that she was afraid of her husband and that she believed he was dangerous. Jennifer Dulos's 85-year-old mother asked the court for temporary custody of the couple's five children, who range in age from 8 to 13 years old, and also asked that their father be granted no unsupervised visitation with them. Bond for the couple was set at half a million dollars, and they were ordered to turn over their passports. Authorities are searching the local garbage dump with the help of cadaver dogs. The search could take days to complete. Those are your true crime headlines. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute. Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, one of the longest unsolved murders in Texas history. This is the story of the Kentucky Fried Chicken Massacre. Our story begins in Kilgore, Texas, on September 23, 1983. The Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant in Kilgore, Texas was open for business, and closing time was fast approaching. Three employees were beginning the process of closing down, cleaning all the food stations, and would soon be on their way home. They were Mary Tyler, age 37, Opie Hughes, 39, and Joey Johnson, age 20. Joey Johnson's two fraternity brothers, David Maxwell, 20, also an employee at the restaurant and soon-to-be new father, and Monty Landers, age 19, were also in the restaurant that night. According to Kilgore police detective and former Rusk County Sheriff Danny Pirtle, Johnson was taking the trash out the back door. It was just after closing time, which was about 10 minutes after 10. At that moment, three men managed to push inside the KFC through the back door. The restaurant staff had counted the money. One employee had called through the local franchise headquarters and told them the total. Voices in the background indicate that the three men may have heard the total. That phone call was the last time that anyone would hear any of the victims' voices. Apart, of course, from the men who grabbed the five people inside the restaurant and put them inside of a vehicle. When the young people at the KFC didn't come home that night, their parents were a little worried. But it wasn't unheard of for kids that age to stay out late. But Mary Tyler's daughter, Kim, stopped by at about 11 p.m. and found the restaurant's door open and blood on the floor. Mary had been a mother of three, working in KFC to pay the bills. Police began searching for five missing people. At 10 a.m. the following day, Rusk County District Attorney's Office investigator William Brown received a call that an oil field worker had found four bodies in a field in Rusk County. 
The bodies were fresh, 14 miles away from the KFC near Walker King Road in Russ County. Meanwhile, at the KFC, a trail of Tyler's blood was found in the manager's back office and by the serving counter. Investigators would later theorize that she had been hit in the mouth or on the nose. Right away, police officers who found the bodies knew something was wrong. They radioed for backup. The case quickly took on a life of its own. The news flew up the chain of command. A fifth body was found, lying out in the empty oil field. Four of the bodies had been lined up in the dirt and shot in the back of the head, execution style. Thirteen rounds fired for five people, said former FBI detective George Keeney. Each of the victims had been shot at least twice, and ballistic evidence showed that there were at least two different guns. Johnson was shot three times. One of the women's bodies had been dragged 50 yards away. It was Opie Hughes. The bodies of the victims were taken away to the coroner's office. There, they were closely examined during autopsy for any possible clues. Opie Hughes had been raped and was found to have traces of DNA still on her body. Examinations of the other bodies turned up more clues and hints. On one body, an investigator found a fingernail clipping. It was placed inside a bottle and sent away for testing. But there was very little else to indicate who might have carried out the murders. Back at the KFC, the police scoured every inch for clues or evidence. They found very little. The killers had left almost nothing behind. But then, someone spotted something near the bodies. Spilled blood. It was apart from the bodies, splattered on the ground in such a way that it didn't seem like spillover from the executions. Someone had wiped it on a napkin, scrunched it up, and thrown it into the undergrowth. Tests and samples were taken and sent off to the lab for DNA testing, but police found nothing which would point them in the direction of a potential identity of the killers. The police had few clues. The DNA from the rape victim, the spilled blood, and the nail clipping. But everywhere else they looked was a dead end. There were no other witnesses in the restaurant. Reports came in indicating that there may have been a van in the area, one that might have been used to transport the victims from the restaurant to the oil field. But it was too dark, and no one could provide a good description, and there were no CCTV cameras in the area. The three men seemed to have come and gone like ghosts, appearing at the KFC, stealing close to $3,000, and then eliminating all the witnesses. The police began to cast their net wider and wider but they ground to a halt. The Kentucky Fried Chicken Massacre seemed like it would never be solved. But police never gave up. Though the KFC massacre became a cold case, all of the evidence was kept on file. Though hundreds of tips poured in, more than a decade went by before a Russ County grand jury began meeting to weigh an indictment. In April of 1995, the grand jury charged James Earl Mankins, Jr., the son of a Texas representative, with five counts of capital murder. The case against Mankins, who had a troubled past, and his wife, Deborah, who also became a suspect, hung on the fingernail found on the victim's clothing. After multiple requests from U.S. senators, congressmen, the governor, and the state attorney general, 
the U.S. Armed Forces Institute of Pathology joined the case. Mankins and his wife were cleared in late 1995 after DNA tests showed that the nail belonged to one of the victims. The case went cold again. Until November of 2005, 22 years after the murders, when a DNA match appeared against two men who were already known to police. Cousins Darnell Hartsfield, 44, and Romeo Pinkerton, 47. Hartsfield was the key. In 2005, he was serving a life sentence for another crime. He had been convicted of aggravated perjury due to his involvement in another case. But when he was behind bars, his DNA was tested. This time, it brought up a match. It matched with the spilled blood found on a box retrieved from under the KFC register and on the napkin at the crime scene. It was enough to reopen the case. By the time Hartsfield's case reached court, more than two decades had passed since the murders. Jury selection in Pinkerton's trial began on August 6, 2007, in New Boston, and was completed on September 27, 2007. Pinkerton's death penalty trial began on October 15, 2007, at the Bowie County Courthouse in New Boston. He pleaded guilty to five lesser counts of first-degree murder on October 29th and received five concurrent life sentences as part of a plea deal. Hartsfield was convicted at trial in Bryan, Texas, a change of venue from East Texas due to the case's notoriety in the press, and was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences. The case against Hartsfield in part rested on the testimony of a Tyler convenience store clerk who said that she had been robbed three days after the murders. Prosecutors argued that the convenience store robbery and the KFC robbery were similar, but one had gone tragically wrong. After some argument over whether the testimony could be heard, the judge allowed it. The woman not only testified in court about the robbery, but she pointed the finger at defendant Darnell Hartsfield as the robber. Coupled with the DNA evidence, it told the compelling story of a robbery gone wrong. Though DNA evidence tied both Hartsfield and Pinkerton to the case, both men continued to deny being involved. Though one of Texas's worst unsolved murders had finally been solved, Pinkerton and Hartsfield delivered a warning as they were carted away from court. They said that a third man had been there that night and claimed that this third man had been the one who killed the victims and had been the one who raped Opie Hughes. Neither Pinkerton nor Hartsfield's DNA matched with the DNA found on the rape victim. This other man is still out there, they warned, but they would not reveal his name. Today, the third man behind the Kentucky Fried Chicken Massacre, if alive, is still walking free. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app and follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.